0: This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Mother Nature is unpredictable, as we were reminded last summer in this WQXR broadcast of Orpheus Chamber Orchestra in Central Park. Midway through a Haydn symphony, the heavens opened, which made the musicians and our recording engineers pack it in pretty quickly. Of course, outdoor summer concerts present other hazards, including relentless mosquitoes, noisy airplanes, chatty audiences, and stages that have baked all day in the sun. Today, we'll get three views on this. Joining us first is Robin Pogerman, culture reporter at The New York Times. This has been a particularly sticky summer week here in New York, but you recently wrote that even in fair weather, the New York Philharmonic's Park
1: Series is a very complex operation. It is indeed. And that was the fun of doing this article was that, you know, something that seems, you know, just very bucolic and and relatively simple. You bring your picnic and listen to music is actually has quite a complex operation uh, that enables it behind the scenes. And so it was fun to kind of deconstruct what goes into actually putting a show like this on, um, getting it up very quickly and taking it down in time to move to the next location and it's everything from having a ton of ice uh, available. For literally, literally a ton, a ton. of two ice. 2,000 pounds of ice for cold drinks because um, the workers need to constantly stay hydrated with cool beverages. Um, but also just how many – 16 trucks and how you have two different work crews coming, one in early in the morning, one in the afternoon till the night. And then the early crew comes back. And one of the particularly interesting things was how they arrange the speakers. And so the uh, the music is timed in intervals so that it reach, seems to reach everyone simultaneously when, in fact, there are slight delays so that everyone feels like they're at the same concert, even though it's coming out of the speakers on stage more quickly than it reaches the back of the Great Lawn. So they have to set So they set the speakers, speakers out, and right, and do all that. And they have to worry a lot about the weather and, and the instruments and just make sure everything is protected and… And also that these you know, musicians get there and um, are comfortable. So at a time when orchestras are really
0: budget-conscious, why does the Philharmonic continue to do these concerts, which are free?
1: It's interesting. I mean, I think you know, when speaking to Alan Gilbert, the music director of the, of the New York Philharmonic, he said it's one of the most important things we do. And I do think there is this real emphasis now um, on sort of – culture for the people. Um, Ticket sales have become a real barrier. And so events like this, along with the Mets, you know, movie theater broadcasts, and it's the Joe Papp principle of, you know, putting Shakespeare in a van and driving around to the boroughs. It's trying to reach the majority of the city when art is so often for sort of a very thin sliver. And it also seems to dovetail well with this de Blasio administration's emphasis on really trying to kind of spread the wealth around. And, and that means reaching all five boroughs. And it's a very democratic kind of event. And everyone is eligible and everybody's welcome.
0: And apparently they really do take this music to heart. Last year, because of the heat, the Philharmonic had a concert in Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx where they could only play half the music that was originally scheduled. And the crowd got kind of ugly. They booed and they chanted, We want Dvorak, which I guess is what passes for ugly for a
1: classical music crowd. I actually think that's striking given that you hear about sort of the death of classical music. And if you look around at the Philharmonic at a normal concert, there's a lot of gray hair and everybody bemoans sort of these dying audiences. And yet for these park concerts, they're apparently coming out at 5 a.m. to, to plant their blankets. So clearly there's, there's a big audience that, that has the desire.
0: The flip side is, do these concerts maybe push the orchestra musicians and staff more than audiences realize if they sit there chanting, "We want Dvorak," and they don't quite know why the Dvorak was not possible to play that day?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I mean, I think there probably is a gulf in terms of just kind of how savvy they are about you know the music itself and the demands on the musicians. We're about to bring in one of those musicians, but first I'd like to say, if you're listening to this, we would
0: like to hear your outdoor concert stories. Please leave a comment on the Conducting Business page at wqxr.org. Joining us now is Nardo Poi, a violist with the Met Opera Orchestra and with Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. WQXR is broadcasting the next Orpheus concert live from the Band Bandshell in Central Park on July 15th. Nardo, you were part of that Orpheus concertus interruptus that we heard at the beginning of the podcast.
2: Yes, I was. (laughs) When
0: must the show go on and when do you just say, okay, that's it?
2: Yeah, weather—you know—outdoor concerts have are very difficult for so many reasons, and uh, you know, Robin pointed some of them out.
0: What are the biggest challenges? Is it the bugs, the heat, the noise, something else?
2: <laughs> All of the above. I think for the musicians, the 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 most difficult part is if it rains or if it's so hot and humid, it makes it really really difficult to play. The extreme humidity, which, which I've experienced anywhere where I've played in, during the summer, and, and including a, a Orpheus was down in Cartagena, Colombia, and we had one outdoor concert, and there was so much condensation in our instruments, uh, which is not good for, for many reasons. It, it makes the instrument not not sound its best, makes it impossible for the bow to, to grab the string and even get a tone out. I mean, it, it's really impossible. And, you know, it, that kind of humidity can also cause the seams of the instruments to come unglued,
0: and these are all things that your average audience member wouldn't even think about.
2: That's right. They don't know what goes into these things. And, you know, with the example that was given with the Philharmonic in Portland Park, I mean, they I understand why they had to not continue the concert. And, uh, of course, the audience doesn't know all these little details that, that we have to deal with. It's it's very difficult giving an outdoor concert. And yet, I, I, you know, I think it's a great thing because you really do bring music to the masses who may or may not otherwise come to concert or may or may not have been to a concert and is the way to bring it to them. And, uh, you know, having played the, the Met the, uh, concerts in, in the parks, I mean, it was great. The audiences went wild. You could really feel their appreciation for it. It makes you feel good to do this kind of thing. So, Do you have I, the
0: union rules backing you up in cases where there is extreme heat, humidity, rain?
2: Well, I, I imagine so, but I think it's just at some point people are willing to maybe go a little beyond that and, and give it the, sort of the benefit of the doubt. But when, there's, there's a point at which it can really become almost impossible, and at which case you really can't go on.
1: Yeah, my so. sense from the Philharmonic was that it's a judgment call in terms of if it's too hot, but that, you know, as you were saying, the the instruments can start to really get damaged. Not only can wood expand, but sometimes the veneer can come off, which is problematic, and that's why the Philharmonic travels with this, you know, refrigerated truck for the right. instruments. Yeah,
2: and it's it's especially bad for, for string instruments. Um, and that, besides damaging the instrument, it also, if something happens, it, it, does, it can lower the value of the instrument as well.
0: And Nardo, I understand you have a great war story about a concert you played at the Bard Music Festival.
2: <laughs> well, there are a couple of stories, but I think the one you're referring to is probably uh, when we used to play in a tent before that really terrific concert hall was built. We used to play in a tent, and there was one... Year I think it was when we were doing Dvorak as the uh, central composer, and Mark Kaplan, uh violinist, was uh, asked to learn this, uh, I think it was a souk violin concerto. Or it's a piece by souk, anyway, for, for violin and orchestra. And he learned it solely for this festival, and it's a really difficult piece. We were taking a lot of hard work to learn this and play it. Anyway, it was one of those nights where, you know, they were threatening thunderstorms, and we started the, the piece. It was fine. We got about halfway through, and then you uh, might as well have called Noah and his ark to come take everybody because it was just an incredible deluge. And uh, the sound of the water hitting the top of the tent just literally wiped out any sound of any music. You could not hear a thing. So poor Mark, having learned this concerto, you know, uh, which was really a knuckle buster, Basically, half of it was inaudible. He's playing, and we refer to it as the Marcel Marceau performance. because He's playing, but you, don't, you nobody can hear a thing. You know.
0: For a third view, we've got conductor Tito Munoz joining us on the line from the Tanglewood Festival in Massachusetts this Saturday. He is leading the Boston University Tanglewood Institute Orchestra in a semi-outdoor concert. During the rest of the year, Tito Munoz is music director of the Phoenix Symphony, So from the conductor's side of this, how do you cope?
3: That's a good question because, you know, there are so many different situations. I mean, I've done things where... It's been like, for instance, at Blossom, or very similar to the, to the shed here in, in Tanglewood, the Kusevitsky Shed or the Blossom Center in Cleveland, which I've conducted quite a bit. There, there's a lot of enclosed things. And so you know, the, even the stage at Blossom is air conditioned for the musicians, which is kind of a, an amazing thing. Um, so you have that, which is sort of like luxurious for an outdoor venue. And then you have just nothing. I mean, literally just you playing outdoors with no cover, nothing like that. And if it rains, you've got to move, you've got to find some other Play. Since i've I mean I've had situations for example, in I remember one concert in Fort Wayne uh Indiana. It was an outdoor concert that we were doing, and we decided to move the concert inside. It was at a university the building was right next to where we were playing, and actually the audience actually were helping us out moving the chairs and stands inside, which i've never seen that before, and we started about forty five minutes late but Uh, We did it. And, you know, it's one of those situations where everyone kind of you do it because it, it means something very special when you actually are able to perform for people who normally don't come and are really enthusiastic and are very excited to hear you play.
0: Last year, the BBC Proms concerts got a lot of flack on social media for not relaxing the orchestra's dress code, tuxes, and gowns during a heat wave in the Royal Albert Hall, which is sort of barely air conditioned. And that was for performances of Wagner's Ring Cycle. Should men be allowed to take off their jackets? Or do Uh, you do that at your concerts? Yeah, I
3: always say yes. I mean, it's torture. <laughs> Otherwise, it's unfortunate, but it's, uh, yeah, because, I mean, especially, we, I've done uh, outdoor concerts in Atlanta or in Houston, where if it's not, you know, you, it's just so uncomfortable to play, and I, I just don't see how that that's good for anybody.
2: I agree with Tito the there. I mean, even when we used to do the outdoor uh, Met concerts in the parks, and we, we were supposed to wear w- uh, white jackets, and both tie, but we would just you know, discuss with the personnel manager, and you'd get the word no jackets, uh, you know, and then at some point, if it's really hot, okay, no ties,
0: you know, so. Is that the stage well, manager's call, or is that a no, collective no, this is decision? No, no, the personnel manager.
1: And I think there is a much more sort of forgiving attitude about these concerts as a result that Nardo and Tito have alluded to, this sense of, you know, let's put on a show collectively, and the audience is part of that. Um, you know, and i speaking to parks officials. They noted they were they were really struck by how respectful people are in terms of taking their own garbage when they leave. Because you can imagine, you know, kind of what a disaster area it would be otherwise. And so there just seems to be, you know, just much more of a cooperative spirit um, that accompanies these events. Um, you know, and sometimes and
3: sometimes I find actually that it, it adds a certain like you were saying, a certain sense of ambience. I'm, I, there was one concert that I... Well, um, in Cleveland, we, we do um, a collaboration with the Joffrey Ballet. They come to Blossom every other summer and do a, a performance. And the first summer that we did this collaboration, and they performed a ballet, a Chris Wielden ballet, that was set, set to the Carousel Waltz, Richard Rogers' Carousel. And the dancers even said it was the most amazing thing because they had never performed that outside before. And so as they were setting up and as the, the, the lights were coming up, they were hearing the crickets. They were hearing the outdoor noise that actually set the scene even more realistically for them to perform because they had never done that before. And they didn't realize that, that they would do that. Um, so, you know, in a way that that sometimes adds to the performance in, in, in certain situations.
1: I was actually struck by how Alan Gilbert said how, you know, part of when, when he's thinking about re- renovating Avery Fisher is to create more of a sense of intimacy. The hall's too big. And here you have this immense park where people are very far away. But he yeah. said you can really feel them listening. And so there is this sense of intimacy created even in a huge park setting, which I thought was remarkable, that you can really feel people's attention. Nardo and Tito, can you
0: feel the outdoor audience when they're with you?
2: Oh, absolutely. I uh, Like I mentioned before, you know, in the uh, Central Park concerts in particular, because there's so many people there, I mean, they just, you just feel, you see them really, really concentrated, really listening, and then at the end they just, they just go wild, they love it, so yeah.
1: Plus there are fire. I think
2: so too. I think too, just <laughs> the
3: fact that the sheer number of people and you know, when you start to play and all of a sudden you don't hear anything anymore, then you you know. You know that everybody's really concentrated on what's going on.
0: Now, what about the ones who are out there with their bottle of Sauvignon Blanc and their (laughs) friends? Is there not a certain segment of the audience that's kind of there to socialize rather than to listen to the music?
3: I think a lot of people are. I mean, I've I've certainly sat out at Blossom many times and have experienced that for myself, you know, and, and have been that person. But even still, I think there's still a a sense, Robin, as you were saying, I think there's still a sense of respect among everybody who's there, you know, because everybody's there to listen to a, a great concert and and to appreciate what's going on. I think there's a different sense of that um, at these outdoor concerts, for sure.
0: And bugs. We haven't hit bugs oh, yeah. yet. Right.
2: Yeah. There, uh, besides the mosquitoes, which you can't do much about, you can put citronella candles around like we did at the Bard Festival when it was a tent. It doesn't really help that much. You know, at the Met, uh, it's particularly in, in in Staten Island for the concert they had literally June bug attacks. I mean, they would just come and, and whack you, at, or they you know whack a singer in, in the face while they were singing. And people wrote in the parts, you know, locusts, June bugs, and you know, disaster. And you know, just you know, it's a joke. But it's um, it those are, those are the things you really have to put up with, unfortunately.
3: The worst for me was in Detroit. Um, they have the fish fly phenomenon there, which comes comes around uh, uh, Lake Michigan every summer for about two or three weeks. And they happen to schedule an outdoor concert within that two, three-week time period. The concert usually begins at 8 o'clock. And I think they've learned their lesson now that they're going to start it sooner. But they started at 8. And by the time intermission rolls around, uh, it's very dark and... Of course, the musicians have, light, have stand lights, and then, of course, there's also lighting on the orchestra itself. I don't know if, you've ever, if any of you have ever seen this, I mean, live. I mean, they swarm. They are just swarming around lights. They're swarming around everywhere. I mean, you can look this up on Google Fish Flies, and you will see this incredible amount of creatures just swarming the state of Michigan. And we unfortunately got hit by that during one of our concerts. And we actually had to stop the concert because it was getting so bad. The musicians took it. They still have it in their lounge. They still have a picture of my stand from that concert because every page that I turned, I was just crunching about a hundred of these bugs. I and think I would keep the, the, page.
1: the takeaway from that is that you know even it takes you know an infestation of that magnitude or a downpour to, um, for the concert to be called off. That they're they're really trying to right. put these on at all costs, and that really struck Absolutely. me. That for right. example, the Philharmonic does not call off a concert for rain until just before the musicians get in the van to go to the venue. So it's really down to the wire, and that's because you know they want the show to go on, and and I think yeah, that we, that yeah. emphasis is really admirable.
3: We were—I mean—for that concert, it was—it was a jazz concert that we were doing, and for sure, I mean, we tried to go on as much as, as long as we could, uh, but it got to the point where people had to stop stop playing because they were just right. trying to get get bugs out of their instruments. It was really quite bad. And wind can um, be a
1: big deal, too. Right, right. Music <laughs> flying around, and
2: right. You know, when when Orpheus a few years ago played in uh, Santa Fe, played in on the stage of the Santa Fe Opera House, which uh, is not enclosed. And it was a particularly windy day, and literally music was flying off the stands. We had one of our people on from the office staff stand on stage, pick up the music, bring it back to the player. And, of course, you'd have sometimes only maybe one person playing a part, like in the viola section, you know, cause, or two people, because somebody had to hold the music. And, you know, it, it gets pretty, pretty scary.
0: Yeah. Nobody had any clothespins with them?
2: Well, you can put clothespins on it. It help somewhat, to but it doesn't help completely. And also then you have to turn the page, and, and it, it just gets very, very complicated. We have these clips that are meant for that, but it doesn't really solve the problem completely.
0: So when fall rolls around, is everybody looking forward to being back in climate-controlled halls? <laughs> or is I mean, this just this summer thing something you really appreciate with all the stuff that headaches. comes along with it?
2: Well, you, you appreciate what you're doing for the audiences. I mean, I, I really do think it's important to do these concerts for, for the people who come. And you know, again, you're you're playing for some people who maybe don't hear this kind of music usually, and they really, really do like it. A lot of people come up afterwards and say, oh my God, that was great. I you know didn't know this and blah blah blah. But I do look forward, for instance, at the Bard Music Festival being in the air-conditioned hall <laughs> during the uh, two-week part of the festival. I'm there for.
0: Well, thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure.
2: Thank
0: you. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were violist Nardo Poi, New York Times reporter Robin Pogrebin, and conductor Tito Munoz. WQXR is broadcasting Orpheus Chamber Orchestra's concert live from the Naumberg Band Shell in Central Park on July 15th. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.